What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show. Friday, July 10th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Which reminds me, Beantown Athletic specializes in custom uniforms and business apparel as the only in-house union screen printer in Boston. Follow them on Twitter at Beantown underscore dot. Also on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Beantown Athletics and on Instagram at Beantown Athletics. Make sure you tell them I sent you if you swing by the studio or the shop here on Granite Ave. Also give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. They actually are currently in the process of printing the t-shirts for the Salty 3-on-3 Street Hockey Tournament. And, um... It's a tournament that I will not be playing in this weekend. I will not be playing in the Salty 3-on-3 this weekend. And I know that's devastating to some uh, who either watched my street hockey film, watched our street hockey film, right? The little mockumentary on my preparation for the street hockey tournament. Uh, As devastated as you might be, the, the closer that these guys get to the tournament, I actually just got a text literally 10 minutes ago. Seeing what was going on, what my availability was, um, it it's somewhat heartbreaking for me right now. It's actually literally just hitting me right now as I think about them printing the shirts out out back. Uh, I I see people needing players for their teams. Um, I just I can't do it for a couple reasons. One, I'm gonna be working Red Sox Yankees pregame this weekend. At Fenway. Uh, Tomorrow on WEEI, I got the pregame show. Well, not the official pregame show. I got the show leading into the pregame show. I'm on from 3 to about 6.30 tomorrow afternoon. Red Sox, Yankees, huge series before the All-Star break. It's at Fenway. I will be inside the Lansdowne Street studio. So if you're on Lansdowne, if you're in the Fenway area, stop by. But don't be an asshole, okay? Don't be an asshole. Don't like start slamming on the glass. You can see me from the Lansdowne, from Lansdowne Street. I think they got a speaker out there too. But don't be a prick. All right? Don't be slamming on the glass like you're sitting in the front row at a Bruins game. It's not like that. And if you do, I'm probably going to call you out. And the chances I do that uh, will mean that the chances are a lot higher that I swear on the air on WEI. And none of us really want that to happen because that's, that means I'll get suspended. Do we really want that? No. So if you are on Lansdowne, you can give a little knock and a wave, right? Little knock, little wave. It's funny. I'm not used to people who, and it's not. They're not doing this because they they even know me. They're just doing it because they're on Lansdowne Street. They they see Wei in the studios inside Fenway, and they see somebody on the air, and they can hear the speaker out in the street. Not because oh, we got to get a video of Danny Picard. No, they're most likely not thinking that. Uh, they're just doing it because that's what it is, and it's it is it's a cool studio. But a lot of people they they have their phones out, and I I'm still trying to get used to how I handle that, right? I I don't know how to handle it because it kind of kind of takes me off of my game. Because I'm not used to doing the the shows from the now I've done some remote broadcasts. We used to broadcast from Daisy Buchanan's, and on Newberry Street that is closed down. So I don't know. I don't know where the Yankees are going to go now, right? I mean, I don't know where the visiting. Where do the visiting teams go, Pete? Do you know now where the visiting 
teams go in Boston? Because Daisy Buchanan's was always, it was like, whatever team was in town, they would be at Daisy Buchanan's. And they wouldn't just go after a game. If they showed up a day before early, they would be in Daisy Buchanan's that night before the game. So I don't know. I actually I don't know where they go right now. I wonder if they still show up and they just like hang out front, <laughs> expecting it to be open. You know what? I <laughs> I have heard that people have been in there, but what? I mean, why would you want to go into an empty bar and just have it to yourself? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they they're doing some crazy shit in there. It is. I I don't know. I, I don't know where they go. But uh, the Yankees are in town. I know where I'll be. I'll be at Fenway tomorrow afternoon. Make sure you you stop by the Lansdowne Studio. Give, you give a wave, maybe a little knock if you want. Um, but take it easy. Don't slam on the glass. Don't be an asshole, please. But because I'll be there, I will not be playing in the Celtic three-on-three street hockey tournament. Uh, Pete is usually my goalie. My producer is also usually my goaltender. Uh, Pete, you're not playing. Just confirming, just clarifying you're not playing. I'm giving you the okay. No, you I know. Play. I, I got a bunch of texts just like yourself. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I, I had to deny. I'm pretty sure I didn't get as many texts as you did. Um, <laughs> it's always tough finding a goalie for this tournament. So. Yeah, but I, I, I got a, I just literally got a text about 10 minutes ago and, uh, it's it's tough to say no. I had a, my mindset is already out of it. I see people talking about it though. I see the t-shirts being printed out out back. They look awesome. They're dry fits this year. Man. It it's it's over. I mean, it, it really is over, right? Because the more I think about it, the re- and the other reason I'm not playing, you know, I had planned this out that I wasn't going to play. I didn't get a team in the tournament. It's because last year during the tournament, right? We won our first two games. We lost our third. It's a 16-team elimination. 16-team double elimination tournament, two-day tournament. Last year, there were like 20 teams. So when you lose that third game, you got to win that third game. When you lose that third game, you have to battle in the loser's bracket for an awfully long time on Sunday. And we did. And we, we rolled through it. And we battled. And we won. And next thing you know, you're playing like every other game. And it's 90 degrees. And it's just, it's draining. And 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 there was one point during the final game, the team we got eliminated by, right, they were just sort of sitting back waiting to play. We were running through the gauntlet. If we had played them the first game on Sunday morning, we would have beat them. But we were beat. We were spent. We had nothing left in the tank. And I can remember that game being out on the street hockey court, skating around, looking around, sweating my balls off, uh, you know, just feeling terrible, all cut up, bruised, bloodied, just just dehydrated. I remember looking around, and I can remember thinking to myself, I'm not having fun right now. I'm not having fun right now. This is this used to be fun. I'm not having fun anymore. We lost this game. It was like, and I'm telling you, if you watched us play that game, it was like we had no heart. Like, we didn't even, we had nothing. And that was it for me. And I knew it. I knew in that moment that that was it. I was, I was... Never going to come back. And we actually, we ended up playing. Just, uh, you know, we go, I still get on there and play. You know, we get the boys together. We get down there, get a couple beers after. I mean, it, it happened. We go down the street hockey court and we play. We get some nice games going. Those are fun, right? I have fun then. And even like a couple weeks ago when I was playing, I'm going, I'm having fun now. And people say, well, you play in the tournament? I go, no, because I know I'm not going to have fun. And people say, well, maybe, maybe you should try to win it. That's a, thanks. You don't think I? You think I don't try to win it? Of course I do. We've come awfully close a lot of times. It never happened, and at some point you just—I don't want to say fall out of love with the Celtic three-on-three, but certainly I don't love it as much as I used to. And you know, it—it's—it's 
it's tugging at me right now. I'm I'm when I think about it and I think that it's this weekend, it it it's I'm the emotions are going through me right now that I'm not playing and that I you know I obviously could if I wanted to, but I got to work and I told you I threw in the towel. It's over. I hung up these skates. I mean, I still we still go down there and play, but in the Celty three on three, that is really all that matters. It's funny because once this tournament's over, you won't get as many people to go down there and play in late July, early August. It just it just won't happen. So uh, this the preparation is for this tournament. I will not be playing. Um, the dream is dead. The dream is dead. So good luck to everybody in this weekend. Celty three on three. You know, except for everybody from Charlestown. No, seriously. Someone from Charlestown will probably win it. The Charlestown team, they got a couple good teams. And from everything I hear, this year it is kind of wide open, which is another reason why I'm sitting here thinking, wow, maybe I should try to play and then sneak off to WEI. But I'm not going to do it. I can't do that. It is over. I'll be at Fenway tomorrow. Uh, Yankees are in town. You know what's going on at Fenway right now on this Friday morning? They have a media baseball game. Red Sox, Yankees, media. And, you know, I look, I've been in the media for, what, I mean, what do you consider the media? What do they consider? And if they say, well, you had to cover the Sox at one point, well, I cover the Sox right now just in a more entertaining fashion uh, than just, you know, the, the reporting does it. Uh, and maybe a little bit more outrageous fashion because I consider myself an entertainer. I'm in the entertainment industry now of the media world, not the reporting um really hardcore journalism area of of the media. But that doesn't mean I'm not in the media. And I've covered the Red Sox before as a reporter. And, you know, I do other things. On TV last night, um, and we talked about DeAndre Jordan, though. I would have loved to have been in the Red Sox segment, talking the David Ortiz stuff with Felger and Lou. But I was in the the basketball segment. That's fine. You know I love talking NBA. You know I love the NBA. Um, but I TV, obviously radio, Red Sox radio network, and I'm a columnist for the Boston Metro and I got this show. So I'm in media and I have covered the Red Sox before, but I don't get the invite to the media game. There's no invite. And I just tweeted something out, a, a video of my catch in center field not too long ago at Fenway. Pete, you remember that when we went, my, just a great catch. You already got a couple wise pricks with some comments. Oh, what did the ball hit off the right fielder's head before you got it? What are you, a fucking loser? You can't come up with something better than that? I mean, you don't think this is funny? Do you actually think that was a ball that was hit to center field and I ran back to the wall and caught it? No, you asshole. If I did, I wouldn't be sitting here right now tweeting about it. I'd be playing in Major League Baseball, you fucking idiot. You know what I was more impressed with that day? Those what? gap hits to right field that you were, uh, <laughs> I do a, just positioning out there. No, I, you know what? I just see, slapping them down the got line. We got like, we supposed, what do we get? Five swings? Eight swings? I think we, the, the first time we got... Five swings, but then the second time, I think we got another like th- five or six. Yeah, we got uh, we got a good ten hacks in there, and um, you know the the pitching machine wasn't pitching very fast, and and I'm not trying to say I'm gonna I want to get up there and swing it and I can hit ninety mile per hour fastball in the seats. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that I would like something to be coming in that's not blooping in like so- like a slow pitch softball and having it be a hardball. No, I need something with a little zip on it so I can sort of you know try to just try to take a hack and see what happens. Uh, instead, I lined a couple into left center. You know, I, I, I was I was trying to, I wanted to, here's what I was really, I, and I only tried to do it for a couple swings. We, we stepped in the batting cages at Fenway um, back in the fall, and we got to hit, and we played the field. It was awesome. Um, and special thanks to the Red Sox for allowing us to do that. 
but I was really for a couple swings trying to, I'm a righty, I was trying to put one down the first baseline. I wanted to rattle one down and roll one around the corner, right? You you know, you see him roll down the corner, you know, Jeter goes the other way. Jeter steps into Fenway, visits Fenway. Uh, What was it? 2004 ALCS, I believe it was game five. Jeter put one down the right field line, down into the corner. And, you know, took the air out of the building. But we know how that ended. It ended well for the Red Sox and great for the Red Sox. Um, but, you know, you see, I wanted, to, I wanted to hit one down in that corner in right field. And I didn't do it. I think I put a couple foul. But either way, I was trying to rip them to left center. Bottom line is this. That I, I no invite to the media game today. And I'm not that upset about it, right? Because, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not really in the media clique. I'm just not. And I'm never going to be. And I'm okay with that. All right, I'm I'm fine with that actually, um, but you know you never I I don't usually get the invite for stuff like this you know, uh, but I wonder how that's going. I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm pr- I'm rooting for the Yankee media today. I I can't wait for the tweet that says Yankee media crushed the fucking Red Sox media ten to two. All right, that's what I'm that's what I'm begging for. Anyways, I'll be a Fenway tomorrow. The more meaningful, the more meaningful part of my life being in the media working. Um, for WEI. Now, I mean, more me- more meaningful than playing in the media game itself. But I'll be there 3 to 6 tomorrow, WEI. Check it out. But uh, for now, I'm right here. You got me, Danny Picard Show, dannypicard.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, anywhere that you can get a podcast, you can get this show. Now, I-, I mentioned Yankees are in town, and the Sox have won four straight. The Yankees have won two straight, okay? If you want to look at the pitching matchups for what you're going to see this weekend, first and foremost, let's look at the standings. That's what you should be doing. The Yankees are in first place in the AL East with a 46-39 and record. The Red Sox are in last place with a 41-45 and record. Now, the Red Sox have five and a half games out of first. In front of the Red Sox, you got the Rays, who are four and a half games behind the Yankees. The Blue Jays in third who are three and a half games behind the Yankees, and the Orioles in second, who are three games behind the Yankees. The Orioles one game above 500 at 43 and 42. Now, again, the Red Sox, 41 and 45 record, five and a half games out. You're thinking, hey, if this Red Sox team can sweep this series at home against the Yankees, then, um, you know, you're looking at two games out, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at, two games out. Um, two games out of first place. So, now, this is with everything going well for them with the other teams in the division, too. But still, you look at the Yankees are in first right now. And if the Red Sox win these three, they will pick up three games on the Yankees, right? And be two, two and a half out of first place. Now, I I think that's an unrealistic conversation because I don't think the Red Sox are going to sweep. I think what's more realistic is winning two of three. Is winning two of three. And I think for me to sit here on Monday and be optimistic about where this season is going to go, I think the Red Sox need to win two of three. I think they need to. They must. They must win two of three. Um, when you The good thing going for the Red Sox is that they have their top dogs on the mound. Buck Holtz is going tonight. Eddie Rodriguez is going to go tomorrow night. And then you got Wade Miley, Sunday afternoon, one thirty-five. For the Yankees, they're going to have Pineda tonight. So Pineda, Buck Colts. Tomorrow night, it's going to be Nova Eddie versus Eddie Rodriguez. And then on Sunday afternoon, Nathan Ivaldi is going to go up against 
Wade Miley. Red Sox got their top three. Yankees don't have their top three. If they had their top three, we're throwing Tanaka in here somewhere. We're throwing Tanaka in there probably on Sunday. If you wanted to say that would be the Yankees' top three. So the Red Sox do have the the pitching advantage. If you wanted to look at Nova, the only scary thing I, I have about Nova is he just returned from Tommy John surgery. And I'm just wondering if, you know, I, I'm wondering if the, at some point I do think Nova is going to be a guy that is really going, I don't want to say turn the corner on this season, but now that he's returned, I think he's going to turn it on. We'll say he's going to turn it on at some point this year. And I guess my concern would be that he that starts on tomorrow night, on Saturday night, against the Red Sox. Uh, and Eddie Rodriguez is also not very good against AL East teams, or he hasn't been so far. Eddie Rodriguez, 1-2 and two with a 7.08 ERA against AL East opponents. But it is clear. Right now, with these pitching matchups, if you wanted to tell, if you wanted me to tell you who has the advantage, Red Sox or Yankees, with the start in pitching, I'm I'm going to tell you right now the Red Sox have the advantage based on the way the Red Sox pitches have been uh, pitching, and these three specifically, Buckholtz, Rodriguez, and Miley, and also based on the fact that if you look at the Yankees, I think in a perfect Yankees world, if they could just pick any three pitches to start this series and say pick their best three, they would have Tanaka in here somewhere, and Tanaka is not. So the Red Sox will avoid Tanaka, and that's a good thing for the Red Sox. Now, so that's where the advantage is. Based on how the two teams have been playing, how these pitches have been pitching, the rotation has been going, I think that right off the bat, the advantage going into the series for starting pitching goes to the Red Sox. It's not a great advantage. It's not heavily slanted towards Boston's way. But I do think the Red Sox, if you wanted me to go up and down the list, checking teams off, I think the Red Sox, you got to check off starting pitching for them based on the three that they have going and the way that those guys, Buckholtz, Eddie Rodriguez, and Miley, have been pitching. Um, so you also then have to look at the bullpens. And the Yankees just got Andrew Miller back. They have Batantis. And Batantis actually, you know, the o- Oakland got to Batantis a couple nights ago, right? Lowry hit a home run, I believe, which was a game winner off him. But Batantis is still dominant. Miller is still dominant. And those two guys turn it into a seven-inning game. And that's where the bullpen, the Yankees, have an advantage. So if you're the Red Sox, yes, you have an advantage in the rotation. But you also need to know that you must get to the Yankees early in these games, which certainly puts some pressure on your offense. There's no question about it. So, you, it comes. It ends up coming back to the Red Sox rotation and what they have to do to make sure that they put the Red Sox, their team, in the best position to win is they need to take some pressure off their offense because the, the Red Sox offense will already have pressure on them coming in. How do, they, how do the Red Sox do that? Well, here's how they do that. The Red Sox starting pitchers need to be very careful with the way they handle the top of the Yankees lineup. They must be... It is crucial. The Yankees just got Ellsbury back, all right? Then you got Brett Gardner, who's going to the All-Star game, and he deserves it. Gardner's hitting 300. He's got over 60 runs scored. Um, This is a guy that deserves to be in the All-Star game. He's coming into his own this season. He hits second. You're going to have Ellsbury, Brett Gardner. You're going to have A-Rod, and I don't care what people say. This guy should probably be in the All-Star game. Um... 
Ellsbury, Godna, A-Rod, Teixeira. All right? That's tough. That is... That's a tough top four, right? That's a tough four hitters. Um, don't forget about McCann. I, I, you know, don't forget about him when he's in there and where he's hitting. So you're going to have four or five very tough outs to begin these games and then maybe again in the third inning, fifth, sixth. You know, you if you're the Red Sox starting pitchers, you got to be very careful. Now, I say, I stress be very careful to these guys at the top of the order because after that, after the five hitter for the Yankees, they got they don't have much, right? They really don't have much that you should be scared of in this series. Um, so if you can be careful, if you can have success against the top three, four, five guys in the Yankees uh, lineup, which is going to be tough to do, you know, and I'll be interested to see what happens tonight because if Ellsbury gets on early, Gardner gets on early, and they start slapping Buckholz around, and he gets into some trouble, and the Yankees are getting on the base pats, and we know what Ellsbury and, and Gardner can do when they're on the base pats. Is Buckholz going to sort of lose his cool like we've seen? Now, obviously, Buckholz has been great lately. And, and you know, this is a guy that has become this team's ace, hasn't he? Him and Miley. And you can't rule out Rodriguez. Eddie Rodriguez. I mean, they, the Red Sox... Let's let's give credit where credit's due to Buckholtz, Miley, and Eddie Rodriguez. They have really pitched dominant. I can use dominant with Buckholtz. Um, I can use dominant at times with Miley and at times with Eddie Rodriguez here. I still feel most most comfortable when Eddie Rodriguez is on the mound out of, out of all these guys because there's still something in the back of my head that thinks Buckholtz at any point could lose it. And I don't know if this is going to be the game tonight in which he falls apart. If Ellsbury, Godna get on and they start running around crazy, maybe it is. I don't know. That's what I'll be looking for, though, in this game, is how Buckholz handles those guys. And if maybe he's too careful with an Ellsbury or a Godna and he puts him on base, you know, is he going to be too concerned with the guy on first? Are they going to try to be running all over him? Are they going to try to get in his head by running on the base pass? Because I think that would be the strategy from the Yankees in which, okay, how do we get Buck Colts out of his comfort zone? Because he's been in one now for a couple months. A dominant comfort zone. How do you get him out of that? I think Ellsbury and Gardner are the perfect types of ball players to be able to get, if they can get on base, to get Buck Colts out of that comfort zone. So that is the matchup that I'll be looking at tonight and really all series long. You know, how do you handle the, how do you handle the top of the Yankees order? If you can get through that and have success with those top three, four, five hitters, you're gonna, you might have a chance to sweep this thing. Um, but I just think at least one of these games, the Yankees are going to do some damage. They're too good at the top of their batting order. They're going to do some damage here at Fenway, put some balls in the seats. Uh, I, I, I don't know what game it's going to be. I guess my biggest concern would be that tonight is the night that Buckholt sort of, you know, a team figures him out and gets him out of that comfort zone. He walks a couple hitters. Next thing you know, he's too concerned about the guys on the base pads because Ellsbury and Gardner running all over the place, and he makes a couple mistake pitches to an A-Rod or to Shara, and all of a sudden you're looking at a 4 to nothing, 3 nothing Yankees lead early, and the Yankees get some dominant starting pitching out of Pineda, and it turns into a 7-inning game with Patances and Miller in the 8th and the ninth. right? Uh, you know, I, I could see something like that happening tonight. But 
Whatever happens this weekend, it's a monster series. It's a huge series for the Red Sox, not just for us as fans, uh, people that care about this this rivalry, but the GM for the Red Sox, Ben Sherrington. You know, I already told you what I would do. If Buckholtz, if, if a team wants to really maybe give you a top prospect pitcher that you think is can be dominant and ready to be in a rotation next year, so the kid you really like, and you wouldn't trade Buckholtz, I think you're nuts. I think you're nuts. I really do think you're nuts. So, uh, uh, you know, and I've described that and talked about that plenty of times in past podcasts, yesterday's podcast, the day before's podcast, and I'm sure we'll get into more of that as we get closer to the trade deadline. But this is a series. If you're the Red Sox GM and Ben Sherrington, you're looking at and saying, okay, this is going to tell us where we stand. This is, a, this is that type of series going into the All-Star break. Are we going to have a shot at this thing or are we not going to have a shot? And if you ask me if the Red Sox lose two of three, I'll still tell you that um, the Red Sox should be a team that at the deadline should be, you know, open to all possibilities. Selling, buying, both, right? Now, if you come out and sweep the Yankees and all of a sudden you go into the All-Star break two games back, there's still certain things that I would do with regards to, uh, you know, sell, buy, uh, I, I I need to see the po- I need to see what what the trade possibilities out there might be. I don't know which, and I mean what you got to give up and what you're gonna get in return. Look, I, again, I trade Buckholtz. I would. I, he's been in the league since 2007. We've seen him be dominant before at the beginning in the first half of seasons. We've never seen him really finish it off. Um, we because you just know that there's gonna be some failure that comes along with it at some point down the road. So. Do, is it time to cut your ties and trade this this guy high? I think so. And and I'm and I've said it before. I don't even know that that's throwing in the towel. Trading Buck Colts. Because I look back at the Andrew Miller trade last year. You got Eddie Rodriguez. Eddie Rodriguez might turn out to give you the best outing from the Red Sox this weekend against the Yankees. In a huge spot. If you can get a top prospect pitcher in, in at the trade deadline, not only would I trade Buck Colts, but I would then bring up Brian Johnson, and given the success Eddie Rodriguez has had, who's to tell me that Brian Johnson won't have success right away? He might. And you might be looking at a Red Sox team that doesn't even really lose much of, much of its steam when you bring up a kid like that. I don't know. For all we know, Buck Holtz is going to go through another tough stretch this season, and that's it. And then it's season over, right? I, I just I guess I, I don't have the trust that I once did, and I defended Buck Colts more than anybody else in this town. But the bottom line is I can't do it anymore because I've seen enough. Yes, he's been dominant lately. It's been great to see. But I think if I want to be realistic about it, based on what I've seen in the past, I need to see his dominance now, and I need to put myself in the mindset of what can I get for it? We're now that's at least that's where the Red Sox should be. They should be in that mode of. What can you get for Clay Buckholtz? If you can somehow package him, and people all keep telling me you got to cut ties with Napoli and, you know, just get rid of him, DFA him. No. I, first of all, get him back in the lineup. Okay? And second of all, so this thing, this is, now I feel like we're babysitting. Uh, right? Just, hey, listen, Napoli, put the work boots back on, put the hot hat on, and get in the lineup. Okay, and take a couple hacks and put a couple balls in the seats. And if you can do that, and a team, I, I, I'm telling you, I think a team, a playoff team, 
would take a gamble. And, and yeah, you might not get much for just trading Napoli, but package him with a pitcher. Package him with a Buckholz or a Miley for that. One of those two guys. Trade one of those two guys high. And I don't know that that's given up in the season. Or maybe you want to look at a Victorino. Move him. Right? Um, something like that. But if you can go out and get another top prospect pitcher at the deadline like you did last year in Eddie Rodriguez, man, I'd be all for it. I really would. I'd really be all for it. And it means moving Brian Johnson up in the process. He should have been up weeks ago, months ago. But he's not yet. Uh, that's, that's what I would do with from the Red Sox. And you know what? If you traded either a Buckholz or a Miley and you called up Brian Johnson, I don't even know that that's throwing in the towel. Let's see how Brian Johnson pitches. He might be nasty. He might be dominant. He might do some things that Eddie Rodriguez has done. And we might be talking about a Red Sox team that is still winning with some pitching. Who knows? I'd be willing to take the gamble. Because you're gambling by keeping Buckholz on this, on this team. And not trading them high. You know, I've just, I've seen too much of the failure even after the dominant success where I have to consider that move. I'm sorry, I do, regardless of what happens this weekend. But if the Red Sox do something like sweep this weekend, I'm also more inclined to not just make that move, but also go out and make another move on top of it that would bring someone like a Cole Hamels in here. Honestly, I would. Make multiple moves. Get the top prospect pitcher. Trade some prospects for a, for a proven pitcher who we know can win in the postseason, right? You don't know that about Buck Colts. You know that about Cole Hamels. So did things move? Uh, or at that point, you say, what's it going to take to rent Johnny Cueto? Now, I wouldn't give up too much to rent him, but it dep- if you can sweep the Yankees, you get two games back all of a sudden, all options are open. All options are open. But let, let's take it easy. I don't think they'll sweep. Um... To be honest, I think the Red Sox win one. I think they win one. And the one they win, I, I, I think, and I don't think Eddie Rodriguez is going to lose tomorrow night, but I think that could be a tough, tough game, low scoring, late, and Yankees get to the Red Sox bullpen tomorrow night. I actually think they win the one on Sunday. I think Evaldi's on the mound against Miley. I think they win the one on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. I think that's the one that they they win, right? And they head into the All-Star break on a positive note. But whatever happens, I'll break it down on Monday here, five days a week, dannypicard.com. So a huge weekend here in Boston, Red Sox, Yankees. And yes, this one actually means something. I think the last time the Yankees were in town, we had, a, the, yeah, we had some bad vibes with the Red Sox team, but also the Celtics were in the playoffs, right? And even though we... Even though we thought that the Cavaliers would win that series, even though we knew that, at the same time, it was still playoff basketball, still a playoff series. We, I was into that. I think that was the last time the Yankees were in town. But um, here we are, Red Sox-Yankees this weekend at Fenway. I'll break it all down on Monday. So what else is going on? Uh, well, the NBA. We're keeping an eye on the NBA free agency stuff. The DeAndre Jordan storyline continues to unfold, and um, I was on TV last night on Comcast Sportsnet New England, and we talked about the DeAndre Jordan thing, and, uh, you know, I guess the way I look at it is, I'm wondering where the Clippers were before that, right? Because here's my theory, Clippers lowballed DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Jordan said, basically, 
well, I wanted to stay in L.A., but they're not going to give me max money, so fuck them. I'm going to go out and entertain other options. And when the Mavericks jumped all over it and talked to his agent and were willing to give him a max contract, you know, DeAndre Jordan said, all right, let's dance. Let's do it. And they say, well, we can't sign anything until, what, July 9th. But, so, but we'll, let's verbally agree on this. And they say, all right, yeah, let's verbally agree. And here's, what, here's the deal with verbal agreements. They can be broken. Uh, and I think what the Clippers said was, wow, we didn't think anybody was going to give this guy that much money, and he actually is going to go to Dallas? No, no, no. You know what? He hasn't signed anything yet. Let's go to his house and lock him in and tell him we'll give him the max deal. And I think that's what happened. And they probably said, look, we was a negotiation. You know, we're sorry, but we want you here. And I think there was obviously a part of DeAndre Jordan that said to himself, yeah, I wanted to stay in L.A. I never wanted it to get to this point. They probably talked about it, talked it out, and he said, man, you're right. That's where I want to be. And you're right. I didn't sign the sheet. I didn't sign on the dotted line. It was verbal. I'm not breaking any rule. So I'm going to sign with the Clippers. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And he signed with the Clippers. Now, he should have called Mark Cuban, okay? That he should have called Cuban before he signed. Fact. And he didn't, and that's bad, and that looks terrible. I think it's childish. I think it's immature. I don't know that DeAndre Jordan did it to say a, to, to be a fuck you to Dallas. I think he did it because I think maybe he was scared or intimidated or just maybe embarrassed, and he felt he didn't do it. I, I think he should still reach out at some point if he hasn't already. But that's a lot of talk. You got Chandler Parsons now with the Mavericks saying DeAndre Jordan didn't want to be a franchise player. He was scared. Whatever. I think I'm going to move on from that because that story's over. Uh, but there is another NBA story that's interesting today. It involves the Mavericks. It also kind of involves uh, Boston Celtics. Kind of. And what is that story? That story is that Darren Williams is seeking a release from the Brooklyn Nets so that he can sign with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but if Darren Williams is unhappy and the Brooklyn Nets look at him and say, what is this really worth? Maybe we should just let him loose. I think it's probably realistic that that could happen if Williams puts up such a stink in Brooklyn to get out of there. Uh, And if he does that, here's what we know. Brooklyn gets worse, right? They get worse. On top of that, the Nets, we've also heard rumors and about potential trades the last couple days of the Brooklyn Nets trading Joe Johnson to the Cavaliers. Now, LeBron James just agreed to a new deal with the Cavs. What's it, a max contract for two years? He can opt out after the first once again. Here's basically what's happened with LeBron. And I've said this the last couple days and weeks. He's holding the Cavaliers hostage. That's all he's doing. Every single year he's going to do this, and I think he's going to do this for as long as he can, as long as he can essentially be the GM and the coach of the Cavs while being the best player in the world. He's saying to the Cavs, here's what we're going to do every offseason. You're not going to bring me back unless you make the moves that I want you to make. Now, we can knock that all we want, but here's the deal. When you can get away with that, and you can control everything like that, then... You know what? I think we'd all like to be in a situation where we had full control and be the best at what we do while having full control. Don't, wouldn't we? LeBron James actually can do that and get away with it. So I guess good for him. Uh, so he's going to make sure the Cavaliers do everything that he wants them to do to make sure that they're a championship contender year in and year out. 
That's all the LeBron thing is. But maybe part of that is having the Cavaliers try and go out and bring in Joe Johnson in a trade. So if the Nets get rid of Johnson and Williams in the same offseason, in which the following year, the Cel- this coming year, the Celtics have the Nets' first-round pick. That means the Nets get worse. That means the Celtics' pick from Brooklyn gets better. And I'm not saying that you should keep the damn thing. I'm saying that you should package it in a trade. And you say, hey, if you're Danny Ainge, you go to teams and you say, look at this Brooklyn pick that we have in the first round next year. Now, you have to trade this soon, okay? Uh, Well, I say you have to trade it soon because let's say Brooklyn has a couple young kids that help them get into the playoffs. I don't know. We know the East isn't that strong. Anything could happen, right? Somebody's, you can get into the playoffs under 500. Brooklyn could still be bad, be under 500, be in a playoff race. It's, it's tough, but that's reality of the Eastern Conference. Um, so that's why I say trade it before the season. Now, the risk would be that you trade it before the season, and then when you get into the season, season plays out, Brooklyn's pick is looking like it's going to be a lottery potential top number one overall. And if you get it to that point, the question would be, Wow, should you have traded it? Or should you have been there sitting pretty going, I could have the number one overall pick? I would still trade it regardless, even if it looked like that. But perhaps if you held on to it and it looked like it was going to be a number one or number two, three pick overall, it would be worth even more. And obviously I have my sights set on a Kevin Durant. You know that. I've thrown his name out multiple times. I think the only way you get him is a potential sign and trade. But you need to be able to give up something that Oklahoma City's going to want. To, be, to even make this a realistic conversation. And realistic conversation right now, the Celtics don't have anything that other teams want. However, as Brooklyn continues to unload, if that's what they're going to do, as Darren Williams today, again, the report, he is seeking a release from the Nets, and we've heard reports multiple days that the Nets are going to possibly trade Joe Johnson. Um, I, I, look, the Nets are getting worse. Now, I don't know why they'd be purposely tanking, because... They don't have their own first-round pick. So, whatever. If they're going to do it, it helps the Celtics. And I think, ultimately, if I'm Danny Ainge, I'd say it helps me trade that pick and have, some, have something of trade value that I could, you know, dangle to a team and say, hey, I'm going to give you a potential top three pick here. Do you want it? Um, we want something pretty big in return from you with the package that we're going to give you. We'll throw in this Brooklyn pick. It could have a lot more value than it did yesterday. So we'll wait and see what Brooklyn does. But that's the NBA news uh, at the moment. And, you know, the reason we're still talking NBA free agency stuff is because those deals become official, but also because we've yet to hear from Roger Goodell and the National Football League with regards to Tom Brady's appeal hearing and the decision that Goodell is going to make. Now, there was some news yesterday. Roger Goodell, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, told CNBC yesterday that a final ruling on Tom Brady's Deflategate appeal is coming, quote, very soon, end quote, possibly next week. So, that would make sense. Next week would make sense. You get all these stupid storylines in the NFL out of the way, like NFL players, you know, losing index fingers to, because they're playing with fireworks. You know, the NFL's in the news, they're in the news. They don't care why, they love it. They love the shield in the news. When there's no more news, right, as you get ready for for training camps, 
Guess what? All of a sudden, Roger Goodell drops the hammer when there's a day of no NFL news. That's what they're doing. I don't think Roger Goodell's scared to make the decision. I think in his head he's already made the decision. And I don't think any more time or any less time is going to change that decision. And the more I see him running around uh, with Robert Kraft, right, rocking his new Air Max Jordans, I mean, the more I believe that there's some type of deal between these two, right? The more I believe there's some type of deal in which he's going to let Tom Brady off and he's going to let this story just go away. Patriots accept their penalties. But we're just, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. When are we going to hear? We're hearing now. Maybe, possibly next week. Um, I just, here's what I hope. I hope it does not happen over the weekend. Because if it happens over the weekend, you know what that means? That means that when I am on WEI tomorrow, live from Fenway at the Lansdowne Street studio, I'm going to have to talk about Deflategate. And, I, you know, I hope that I don't have to talk about Deflategate this weekend. I want to talk Red Sox-Yankees. I want to talk meaningful baseball at Fenway. I do not want to talk about a suspension or, a, or, or any ruling on the air pressure in football. I just don't want to do it. So I hope he waits till next week, early next week, middle of next week. Uh, but you never know. But apparently, according to CNBC, Roger Goodell has told CNBC, told them yesterday that a final ruling will be announced very soon. So we'll wait for that. When that comes out, we'll break it all down. Also this weekend, we got UFC 189, Conor McGregor. Doesn't, it doesn't have the same feel. He's not going to fight Aldo. It's a terrible loss for UFC. And I know Dana White's doing his media rounds, his radio interviews, and I get he's going to pump this fight up. He has to. Dana White has to pump this fight up. It's his fucking job. But you want to be realistic? Dana White? What do you think? He's not bullshit that Aldo's out? You think he's not bullshit that this fight that they've been running around the world promoting, having him go back and forth in these press conferences, having McGregor run over, steal the belt from Aldo, doing all these shows that you can watch? The build-up to this fight has been really... Unlike anything I've seen in the last year, maybe even longer than a year. Eh, maybe not longer than a year, but it's, it, it does feel like that, doesn't it? It feels long. It feels like a year it's been going on for. Uh, but, you know, and it began the night McGregor won that fight at the TD Garden. That was what? Was that in the fall? He wins the fight um, in the fall or the winter, whenever it was. McGregor wins the fight. He runs over, jumps outside of the octagon, into the stands, and gets in Aldo's face, who's sitting there at the garden, and here we go. All of a sudden, we're ready for the next fight. We're ready for the title match, title fight, and uh, a lot of buildup. And McGregor's a, a perfect personality for a sport that needs a personality like that, a guy on the mic like that. Um, and and it was, I mean, if you're a UFC fan and you're not a UFC, the build-up to McGregor-Aldo was entertaining, okay? It was, and that's exactly what they wanted it to be. And to have that type of build-up and that type of entertainment level, and then all of a sudden say to your fans, well, guess what? We can't have that fight. That is devastating news for UFC. It, it, it is news that, I'm sorry, I don't care what Dana White says on radio interviews or on TV or when the cameras are rolling and the recorders and the mics are on, he was absolutely beside himself when this fight had to be canceled. I'm, I'm sorry, he was. That's just a human... It, put it this way. If behind the scenes he didn't have that reaction, 
I would I would question everything that he does, uh, everything that he stands for. So I, I, I'm sure he had that reaction. It just must be human nature. It's bad. It's bad for the sport. And you're going to tell me now that I have to watch McGregor fight who? Chad Mendez? No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to watch. I wanted McGregor Aldo. I wanted to see the fight that that we've heard all this trash talking about. The build up, the entertainment value, and now it's just like, now I can't have that fight. Obviously, we're going to have that fight at some point. I would think you have to, right? I don't know when it's going to be, but it won't be this weekend. And because it won't be this weekend, I will not be watching. That's just it. I I, I wanted to see that fight. I won't. So, do you care anymore? And look, the diehard UFC fans. I won't consider myself a diehard. I'll, you, and I'm not knocking you. That's just what it is. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a season ticket holder. I don't watch every event. I'll watch the big fights. I used to love watching Bones Jones. I would watch him fight. Um, I, 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 the McGregor-Aldo fight had a buildup, really unlike anything I've seen. And I was all in on it because of the buildup and the entertainment value that was presented with the buildup. But now we're not going to see that fight, so I'm out. It's just the way it is. And I, I, they can say all they want about selling more seats to this event, opening up more seats because they need the seats. I'm, I, I'm not going to believe any of that. I, I, just, I think the interest level has to be down. It has to now that uh, Aldo is out. And perhaps there's people that are going to see this fight that don't even know Aldo's out yet. I mean, they might, I, it's been big news, but there might, there might be people that don't know, honestly. So... Uh, that's, that's the fight we wanted to see, and it's the fight we won't be able to see. At some point, we'll see it, but it won't be this weekend. And because of that, I will not be watching. So, I got to bounce, uh, wrapping up the week. Uh, a little shorter show than usual, because we got to get out of here. But I'm here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere that you can get a podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, listen. And just because I'm here every weekday doesn't mean you can't Listen, on the weekends, you can do that too. What are you going, driving down the Cape, uh, going on vacation? You can just get it on your phone, tablet, any device, really anywhere that you can get a podcast to listen to and make sure you get caught up on the Danny Picard Show. Again, five days a week, dannypicard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. Get me on WEEI tomorrow, 3 to 6.30 Saturday. I'll be live from Fenway and back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Talk to you then.